when when we walked into that ballpark is like flashbacks because when i was with the padres in the 70s that was our northwest league franchise and basically it was our rookie league team we we just had that for the first year players and you know i i walked in there and and all of a sudden i i remember ozzy smith playing shortstop there uh i remember on the same team tony gwynn and john crook there um you know i looked at the dugouts and the football stands that are you know down the first base and uh, right field line and it all came back and it was a great great atmosphere and environment for kids to learn the fundamentals of the professional game what's up bucket heads thanks for tuning in and welcome to episode number 125 of the baseball bucket list podcast I'm your host, Anna D. Tommaso, and each week on the show, I speak with a different baseball fan about their favorite memories, what's left on their baseball bucket list, and what the game of baseball means to them. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Bob Fontaine Jr. Bob is a former big league scout and director of player development. He's known for signing several big names, including Tony Gwynn, Ozzie Smith, Randy Johnson, Jim Abbott, Tim Salmon, and so many more. I was fortunate enough to meet him on the Washington segment of the Japan Ball Pacific Northwest Tour this past summer. I really enjoyed chatting with Bob on that trip, and I knew he'd make for a great interview on the show here. We discuss how he got his start with the game, the methods he'd used to pinpoint great players, and some of the changes the game and scouting have undergone in the past several years. This was easily one of my favorite interviews ever, and I felt like I could have talked with Bob for hours. In addition to his own career and stories about specific players, Bob and I also discussed how we both think baseball mirrors life, how you need to learn from your mistakes, and how the game brings people and cultures together. Now, without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy some baseball banter with Bob Fontaine Jr. Bob, thank you so much for joining us today on the Baseball Bucket List. How are things in San Diego, even though that's not where you're calling home base these days? Well, right now the sun is shining. It's it's a very nice day. I just left Bellingham yesterday, and it was cold and rainy, which is about par for the course this time of year. Yeah, right. I you're probably used to that by now, so not a bad yeah. idea to to head on out to San Diego to get some sunshine. Absolutely. Well, let's just jump right into this interview because I'm so excited to have you here. How was it that you fell in love with the game of baseball? Well, and I grew up in a baseball family. Mm-hmm. Um, my uh, my father had played in the Brooklyn Dodger organization and uh, played as high as Montreal. In fact, he was with Montreal in 1946 when Jackie Robinson played his first year. And uh, after he hurt his arm, Branch Rickey made him a scout. And so he scouted for many, many years um, and as a kid, I used to tag along with him, and I'd go everywhere I could with him. In the summer, I'd travel with him for a month, and we would go everywhere, and I fell in love with the game. I, I knew I wanted to be at baseball. Like all young kids, I thought I was going to be a major league player, but obviously that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and uh, so I, I wanted to follow in his footsteps, and uh, so he taught me the ropes. And uh, I've been around the ballpark as long as I can remember, and uh, the first words I ever spoke were baseball terminology, like tools. And um, it's just something that uh, has been in my blood from day one. Yeah, what a great story. And I can't wait to dig more into that. You mentioned you've kind of got like a, a long history, a long story with baseball and several different organizations in baseball. But I normally ask people who their favorite team is. And so 
do you have a team that you follow along with, or are you kind of watching games more objectively these days? Well, number one, I, I don't watch professional games like I used to. I still like to, you know, go to uh, uh, to amateur games, and I, I do some uh, consultant work in inner city type of things, which I really enjoy. Um, you know, it's baseball it has changed so much. But to answer your question about the teams, I started with San Diego and spent nine years there. So you're always going to have a warm feeling for the team you started with. And then my my uh, scouting career basically was was identified with my time with the Angels. I was there 13 years. And then I was a farm director with the White Sox. And I really loved that because Jerry Reinsdorf is just a great owner. So those three teams have the most special meanings to me. But I, I have to admit, I, I enjoyed my time with Montreal and Toronto and, and, and Seattle as, as well. And I finished my career with Major League Baseball. So I got to experience a lot of things internationally. And, and you know, anytime, Anna, you go to the ballpark, you, you feel privileged yeah. because people, you know, they pay to go to the ballpark. And they dream of going to the ballpark. And I go there every day, or I did go every day. So, you know, there there's some that you look at a little different, but I enjoyed all my stops. So growing up, kind of tagging along with your dad, Bob Fontaine Sr., that's how you got started in the game. Was he teaching you kind of what to look for in players? Is that kind of how you developed your, you know, I don't know what you would call it, I guess, checklist of of things that you're looking for for guys? Or is that something you kind of developed on your own? Well, when when I was a young kid, I'd be around him. So I'd listen to him talk to other people. He wouldn't be talking to me, obviously, at a younger age. (laughs) Right. So I heard all these things. So they, you know, the terminology kind of was implanted in me. So when it came time to learn what it all meant, it was a lot easier. Now, when when it came time where I was trying to get into the scouting profession, I uh, I worked for a year for free to get to, to, to learn the trade. And I remember he told me, he says, you aren't going to go see a game until you know what major league average is. He says, because everything you do in baseball – is is gauged against the major league player, not the college player, the high school player, the minor league player, but the major league player. He says, once you understand the major leagues, then you can go down and make those comparisons. So I, I went to uh, big league games in San Diego for a couple months, and he would talk to me after the game, and he'd say, okay, what kind of arm does this guy have, kid? And I say, well, I think it's it's above average. And he'd say, wrong. <laughs> and then he'd ask me a question. He said, what kind of a runner is this guy? So I think he's, you know, average. He said, wrong. And then after a while, I started getting right once in a while. And I started to get an idea of what it was. And once I had somewhat of a feeling of what a major league average ability is, then then I got to go out and look at high school and college players because ultimately the only thing that matters in baseball is the major leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, statistics, uh, all those things don't mean anything until you get to the big leagues because that's where you're, you've got to win to survive. So, you know, that's it. when I got to the point where I was getting into the business, he spent a lot of time talking with me. And as a father, Ken, you know, talk to their son. He yell at me a lot and say, you know, what are you doing? You're wrong, this and that. But you know what? It was the way to develop 
a foundation that I'm very grateful for. Yeah, well, it helps when your dad is is one of the greats beside you. So um, that's pretty cool that you kind of got your start that way and learned so well, much as a young kid. Exactly. And, you know, he used to have um, in the winter, they, they up in Northern California, it was called the Winter Peninsula League. And there was like six major league clubs that had a team in it. And what they did is they had all their minor league players come out and play in the winter and work on things and stay in shape. And, and then they'd bring in some free agents or whatever to look at. It wasn't like it is today. And uh, when I was a little kid, I was the bat boy on the team. And Willie Stargell was was and will always be my my hero. Wow. And and he used to have me sit next to him on the bench and talk to me. And he looked after me. And he was only 18 at the time. He just broke into professional baseball. And he he meant so much to me because not just that he was a great talent, but he was a great person. That's when I learned, you know, that there are so many good people in the game. And um, and, I, and I remember seeing Willie a couple of years before he passed away. He was doing some work for, for Atlanta. And I hadn't seen him for many years. And it was like I'd seen him the week before. And, you know, it just those are the memories you have early on that, that stay with you throughout your career. The people that you meet in this game that mean so much to you, not just as colleagues, but as friends. And it was a great experience growing up with that. Wow. I, I've always said that baseball fans are the salt of the earth people. You know, they're, they're the best people in the world. So I imagine that people who, who devote their entire life to actually working in the game have got to be pretty much of the same caliber. So I love hearing stuff like that. Well, I, I'll tell you what, you're so right on. And, and it was like when we were uh, with the Japan ball group in the Northwest. And the reason that, you know, I love those type of things is because every one of those people that were there were true fans. Yeah. Not just about the present game, but about the, you know, the history of the game. And that's so much fun to be around because, you know, they're not talking about the money in the game or the analytics in the game. They're talking about the game, the people that played the game, the history of the game. And that's the beauty of baseball. And it's something that I don't think a lot of uh, newer fans in the game or especially with the direction of the game, uh, I don't know that they look back on the history of the game quite as much as they did when I was growing up. Yeah, I think that's probably true, unfortunately. But, you know, there's hope that maybe that will kind of start to, to fix itself. But I guess we'll have to see. You know what? I mean, you can always improve it. But you got to be careful that you don't try to change too much because the game was successful for 150 years before big time change came in. And you know what? Change is good if it complements what works. And, you know, that's always the key. And I think that's the case in any business. And I think, you know, you have to find that mixture that, that makes things better. Yeah, certainly. Speaking of the Japan Ball Tour in Washington last summer, you and I got a chance to go to Walla Walla, Washington at Borlesque Stadium, which our good friend Shane Barclay, who runs Japan Ball, says we have to say very slowly and carefully. <laughs> but Borlesque is now home to the Summer Collegiate Walla Walla Suites. But you knew that ballpark is something different a couple of years ago, right? So why don't you tell us who was playing there during your days as a scout? When, when we walked into that ballpark, it was like flashbacks. Mm -hmm. um, 
because when I was with the Padres in the 70s, that was our Northwest League franchise. And basically, it was our rookie league team. We we just had that for the first year players. And, you know, I I walked in there and, and all of a sudden I, I remember Ozzie Smith playing shortstop there. Uh, I remember on the same team, Tony Gwynn and John Cruck there. Um, you know, I looked at the dugouts and the football stands that are, you know, down the first base and uh, right field line, and it all came back. Great, great starting point for every one of those players. It was a, it's a great league, and um, but it was a lot different back then, too. I mean, you had a manager and a bus driver, <laughs> and they would also, um, you know, uh, be the trainer as well. Uh, and then, then all of a sudden teams added, you know, a pitching coach and things and not like it is today, but those kids had fun. I mean, geez, it was a great group of kids up there. And Walla Walla was for, for most of them, a complete change of where they grew up from. And, uh, they'd go up there and, uh, we had great managers of those clubs. I remember my good friend, Cliff Ditto, who I worked with many years as scout, and he managed our rookie league team up there, And which was ironic. They used to say, geez, can you imagine a guy named Ditto working in Walla Walla? <laughs> and, uh, and, but he was a great manager, and the, and the kids always, they got better. And it was a great, great atmosphere and environment for kids to learn the fundamentals of the professional game. And I'll tell you, for me, that was the highlight of the whole trip. And I enjoyed other parts a lot, but that was the highlight. That was one of my favorite stops along the way. You know, we, of course, went to almost every single level of of minor league team. And then, of course, the collegiate summer team, too. But I was really glad to hear that you got flashbacks from that stadium and that ballpark because I felt something there you know what I mean you could almost it it was so well preserved and you could tell by the way that the community members were there out there supporting yelling they knew these kids by their names and were really just you know fixated on everything going on it just was it was almost a perfect evening of baseball it was so just everything that I think is right about the game is kind of how that night felt to me I, I think you're right on and you know what? They drew about the same amount of fans, but the kids lived, uh, you know, in, um, uh, you know, they'd live in host families' homes mm-hmm. and they were treated so well up there. And it, it, it just, it was a great yeah. atmosphere to start your professional career. And again, it, you know, I hate to keep repeating myself, but it meant a lot to me to see it because I had not been there in so many years. And that's what baseball used to be. You know, when you, you see movies like Bull Durham and stuff. There were some things in there that, that will remind you of the way minor league baseball used to be. You know, kids didn't have baseball cards yet. They weren't already famous on social media. I mean, they were basically starting their career with a drink. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there wasn't, when, when I started, there weren't radar guns and things that kids worried about. They just worried about going out, being the best player they could become. And, uh, you know, nowadays it's not their fault, but they're worried, well, how, how fast was that one? Or what was the rotation on this? Or what was the exit speed on that? These kids didn't worry about that. They just went out to become the best they can be. And when you become the best you can be, those other things take care of themselves. So, yeah, it was a, spe- it was a special night. 
that's one of the things I wanted to touch on with you, too, is obviously this transition of, you know, kind of how the game at all levels is moving towards today. Yeah. It's all analytics driven. There's a lot of math, I guess. I don't know. Stuff that I don't understand that goes into it. And so I know you kind of came up in the age of believing in the eye test, you know, like how does a kid look? How do they seem to be running What's their IQ like on the field and everything like that? And I hope that there is still some of that today, but I'm not I'm not really sure. I don't think there's not nearly as much. I can tell you that. Yeah. And you're very astute to point those things out. I see analytics or statistics of statistics especially have been used forever. I get it. And analytics, you know, they can be an identifier. There's a place for, for everything. But I've always said that if you're going to evaluate a human, who better to evaluate him than a human? Mm -hmm. And a number doesn't evaluate, you know, how you start the bat. A number doesn't evaluate your pitching delivery. A number doesn't project how you will be in the future. It's the person behind the number that has to do that. In this game, the makeup of a player is huge. There's been a lot of players with great ability never made it to the major leagues there's been others with very marginal that have had good big league careers mm -hmm. and it usually has to do with the makeup and i've always said that um you know the the best video camera are your eyes and the best formula comes from your brain and the toughest decisions are made with your heart and that's the way i was brought up i never used a radar gun i never used a stopwatch I watched a guy run. I watched his running stride because if he had a good stride, you know, you can tell a guy when they can run good. And, and if he has a good stride, he's probably going to keep his speed. Same thing throwing. If you have a good, smooth, quick arm, you're going to probably get faster and uh, you're going to retain it. And same thing with a swing. If you're balanced and your hands are back. See, those aren't analytical things. Right. Those are things that you, you see with your eyes. And again, I'm not knocking the analytics. I'm just saying that those particular things, because baseball is always projection. Every time you see a player at every level, you, you're always projecting, what are they going to be next year? What are they going to be five years from now? Even at the big league level, you're always saying, is this guy going to continue to be this type of player? Or is he going to go backwards? Or does he still have more upside? Well, that goes all the way down to high school, college, and the minor leagues. And so we're constantly projecting, and I truly believe, and I don't think anybody could ever make me uh, think different, that, that the person is the, is, the, is the one that projects. And um, you know what? If, if you're not afraid to make a mistake, that's the key, then you got a chance to be successful. Because if you project and you're not afraid to be wrong, you're going to be successful once in a while. That's all it takes, right? Just like the game of baseball. Yeah, I mean, you know what they talk about a hitter, if you hit three out of 10, uh, you know, you're a successful hitter because you hit 300. In scouting, it's 15 to 20% if you're right. Yeah. But you know what that means? That means you're wrong a lot. Yeah. And I hope people understand that, uh, that every player they see in the big leagues, there's a story behind it. That's one of the things that I love so much about this game. And I know that that's just sports in general. I know that that is, you know, a component of many careers, basketball players, football players or whatever. But for some reason, I think because baseball is such a 
always their ever present sport. It's there every single day, you know, so the passion and determination that it takes just to play the game, let alone overcome any level of adversity or lack of skill. I think that's why it just I'm so drawn to it. I'm so drawn to the human interest stories of these obstacles and how they were overcome by these guys. Yeah, that's very good. And, you know, the beauty of baseball is you come back tomorrow. Yeah. You don't come back uh, every seven days. And um, and and so, you know, there's probably not a sport where players hit slumps and hit strong streaks like baseball. Mm-hmm. I mean, the great players have had, they've had bad months. And, uh, you know, it's, if you have bad months in some other sports, sometimes you're not around. So baseball is, is a luxury where, you know, hey, come back tomorrow means something. It's a lot of fun. And, that, and that's another thing when we talked about a little bit earlier is that's the makeup of the person. How are they going to handle these things? And there isn't anything that's going to tell you other than, I believe, the human evaluation. I know how I judged makeups of a player. Nowadays, they can give six-hour tests. They can do this and that and whatever. And there's some, you know, some good things to get with it. I used to shake their hands, look them in the eye, and talk to them about something other than baseball. Mm. And you learn a lot about a person, you know, because they're not – they're not going to give you a uh, something that they had already planned to say, you know, and stuff. And, and you get to know about the character of the person, the strength of the person. And um, I always enjoyed that part. And, and you know what? For the most part, it, it usually was, was right on. Wow. That just kind of makes me pause for a second because it's, it's something that's so smart, I think, you know, and... I wonder how much of that goes on today because I, kids are going through sports psychology at such a young age. They're probably getting these answers canned, ready to rattle yep. off. And then, uh, you know, you walk sure. up to them and ask them about something else. And wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's an incredible insight. I'm going to take a second here to name drop because you did mention Ozzie Smith all once already. Right. But Bob is known for signing some some pretty big names here and I'm just going to rattle off a couple but Tony Gwynn a guy we've all heard of Randy Johnson Ozzy Smith and my personal favorite Jim Abbott and the reason that Abbott is my favorite is because of everything we just talked about you know this is a guy born without his right hand and you you wonder if he gets a chance to play in today's environment the way that it is so statistically and analytically stacked and um, I would absolutely love to hear that story what you saw in him you know was there pushback or I mean just kind of tell us Jimmy Abbott is one of the special players that I've had an opportunity to be a part of in the game and I remember in the offseason prior to the draft that he was selected in the first time I ever saw him was on some film. They, he was on the USA team in the Pan American Games. I think it was played in Cuba, and I wanted to see, you know, exactly what it, what it looked like as far as the transition of the glove and everything. And as soon as I saw him throw a few pitches, I said, "Geez, you hardly even notice it. He's so quick with it." And we were looking for college pitcher that year, preferably left-handed. 
So I just remember our guys, you know, liked him. His, his stuff, you know, was good enough. I mean, my gosh, he was in the mid, today's analogy, mid-90s. He had the best cutter I've ever seen. And uh, he just, he, he was a great competitor. So the first game of the season, they played at Texas. And I went down there because I wanted to see it. And I walked in there and, again, I saw him warm up a couple times and said, you don't even notice it. He's that quick. But the thing I noticed was the intensity of the club that played behind him. And, you know, Jim loves baseball so much. He just wanted to play. He just loved to play. That made me a believer that day that, hey, you know, this this is a guy that fits for us perfect. And I remember when we had our draft meeting, I asked all the guys, because it was split camp. Everybody liked him, but it was split whether to take him with the first pick or try to get him with the second. I don't think he would have got to us in the second. I think he would have gone down the line in the first round. But the only question that I asked, I said, guys, who in here doesn't think he can field his position? Because that was one of the concerns that I think a lot of people had. Not one hand went up. Mm. I said, that's it, guys. You know, sometimes I got to break a tie. This is that case. We're taking Jimmy if he's there. And so we took him. And when he joined our club, he pitched in the Olympics in Japan and they won the gold medal. He pitched the gold medal game, complete game, which you don't see much anymore. And um, he went to spring training. He was going to go to double A Midland. And he pitched so well down there that, you know, they kept kept him around, kept him around. I said, well, this is a great experience for him. I'll never forget, I was driving from Arizona back to California, and I was listening to our game on the radio, spring training game from Palm Springs. And uh, he came in to face, we were playing the Padres, and he came in in like the seventh or eighth inning, and Tony Gwynn came up. <laughs> and uh, I said, this, this should be a good test. And he got two strikes on Tony, but a lot of people got two strikes on Tony. What they didn't get was a third strike. And um, next thing I know, he struck him out. And I know his spring training and stuff, but when you strike Tony Gwynn out, you know, that's not easy to do. And about uh, two, three, three days later, uh, Mike Port, our general manager, Doug Rader, our manager, called and said he's going to break with the club. And I always felt, because the year before, we had a bad year. We had a good team, but we had a bad year. And... Um, The year Jimmy joined us, he was our fifth starter. He won 12 games. We won 92 or three games that year. I've got nothing to back it up. Um, But I always thought, what excuse does anybody in the clubhouse have when this guy has never has one? You know, and you look at how much he likes to play and how hard he plays and, and what the game meant to him. And I think it, I personally think it just made our whole club atmosphere better. Yeah. How could it not? I mean, that's just one of those. I mean, really, how could it not? It's just one of those just personal stories that get ingrained with the game and you can kind of follow along the team's season, the individual season. And it's just, you know, those are the special stories that that just make this game so much more interesting to me than than anything else. And, and, and to me, I mean, I think of things that he did, like when he, he got his first win of the year, I think it was against Baltimore. I remember his first outing when he pitched against Seattle. He got to like four and two thirds, but he showed that he could 
he could pitch there. And then he shut out Boston in Boston. And then, of course, there's no hitter with the Yankees. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it's just, it, it made you feel good, Anna, about the game of baseball. Because he wanted to play so bad, and he inspired so many people. His goal was to play the game, not to go out to be an inspiration. But like he would say, if it inspires somebody, that's great. And he was so good with people. And it just made you feel good about the game. It's, it's one of two times in my career that I felt a little, little more special about the game of baseball. I love that. That's such a good story. Such a good story. That and, of course, many other stories you guys can read about in, in <laughs> Bob's book, In Search of Millionaires, The Life of a Baseball Gypsy. Bob, what kind of, I mean, I know we've got limited time here, and so we've only gotten a handful of these stories. But, I mean, what made you think you had to write a book? I guess there's really just no question. You just, you just had to. It wasn't something that I ever planned on doing, but I, I wrote it for my kids. And, you know, when you when you travel as much as I did for so many years and through their formative years, and, and then as you get older, especially, I started feeling guilty, you know, about so many things that I missed. And, yeah, they would go to the ballpark. They'd go to the big league ballpark. I think they thought everything was, every time I went to a game was, I was in the press box with a meal <laughs> and the dessert tray would come by and everything. And um, But I wanted them to know why I did it. Not that it would make up for being gone from so many things, but at least give them a little understanding. And even though they knew a lot of what I did, every one of them told me I had no idea that you did that or you did this or it encompassed this. And that's why I did it. And I didn't care if it sold one copy or how many copies. I wanted it for them. And once that was done and Taylor Blake Ward did a great job putting it together, it, you know, it, it made me feel good that I at least could let them know that I wasn't away because I wanted to away. I was away because I was trying to give them a good life and to, you know, help the team I was with. And uh, that's why I did it. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good answer. If it's possible, and I know it might not be, but is there a single moment that comes to your mind when I ask you what your favorite baseball memory is? Oh, there's so many. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jimmy Abbott is one. When I was a kid, I was telling you about sitting with Willie Stargell every weekend and, and things. But the, I think one of the other special things, the, the other thing along with Jim, was uh, after the Soviet Union fell, and a lot of your listeners probably don't even know what the Soviet Union is. It's been so long. But when it fell from the communist system and opened up, I had seen the um, Pan American team uh, the year before, or they played, I'm sorry, that was a, it was a games in Seattle. I can't remember now what they had called it. And the Russians, once baseball became an Olympic sport, they wanted to be, you know, in it. And so they started playing baseball and they, it was goodwill games. And they sent a team to Tacoma. So I went up there along with a zillion other scouts because we had a great collegiate team in that tournament. And everybody was there to see them. And I told everybody I was there to see them. And that was a lie because I knew those guys well. I didn't need to see them again. But I wanted to see where the Russians were. I wanted to see what stage they were at. Hmm. And um, they had older players, a few younger players. But their history in sports, in basketball and hockey, is phenomenal. Great athletes, and they progress fast. 
And so we were not a big competitor at that time in the, uh, in the Latin American world. So Bill Bavese and I says, well, let's, let's see how this goes. So Bill's sister-in-law was teaching at Moscow State. And at that time, you couldn't get in the country. It was closed. But she got me an invitation through the university. So I went to Russia. And uh, I remember working out the Moscow State team and, and stuff. But I wanted two players that I had seen on that Goodwill team. There was a shortstop and a third baseman. And they were younger. And I also saw a pitcher at Moscow State who had been a, uh, a long-distance runner. And, and the third baseman was a tennis player. And I think the shortstop was a rower. And the whole feeling was, let's get involved with this. Bring them over. Let them play for a couple of years. And then have them go back so they could be instructors and also be, a, you know, scouts for the Angels. Mm. And, you know, I grew up in the Cold War era. And, you know, that was a was a tough era. And, and so to get over there, that was a, that was a trip you can't believe because nobody knew I was there. There weren't cell phones or anything. I'm running all around Moscow and these places on buses and subways. I don't know where I am and neither would anybody else know where I am. And so we signed these three kids and we bring them over and they're wonderful kids. Their work ethic was tremendous. And I remember going to Mesa, Arizona, where our rookie league team was to watch their first day and to see these three Russian kids play catch with their American teammates under the name of angels with just, it was kind of emotional for me because we were taught that the Russians were our enemies. They were taught we were the enemies and they, they're great people and they're very appreciative. And it, it just meant a lot because of what I grew up through and to see where base, this was baseball that made this happen. And I'm thinking, wow, can you imagine that baseball? And it was it was a big, big moment for me. I can imagine so. I mean, that's, again, one of the things that are, is so great about sports and in specific baseball. You know, I, I think about the, the World Baseball Classic we just had recently. Right. And um, I didn't have a chance to go, but I, I got to talk with a couple of people who, who were there mixing with other cultures in the stands and just getting an understanding of you know, what the game means across the entire world and just how unifying it really is. And um, it's pretty incredible that a, a simple game can can do something like that. You're absolutely right. I was in uh, Tokyo for the WBC, mm. and um, you're right. I mean, those people just went crazy. And they were very appreciative of the other teams that were there as well. Um, it's, you know, baseball, when you think about it, anybody, and I mean anybody can play the game. There's uh, senior citizens up to their 90s at play. There's You can play high school, college, softball games. I have a uh, special needs son. He played He played three years of, of uh, Challenger Little League. I mean, the game is there for everybody. There's not many sports that provide that. And, and the thing about baseball, I've always found, and even today, it's the one sport that when it starts, it's like the start of a, a new year, which means this will be the year. <laughs> yeah. This will be this will be my year to have a good year. And, you know, I mean, every spring, everybody thinks, okay, it's a new year. Let's go. And baseball provides that. Even though the other sports are, are huge, I don't think they have that same effect that baseball does at that time of year. 
I totally agree. And I was just thinking about that the other day because, of course, the you know the season wrapped up about a week ago, and uh, maybe two weeks ago at this point. But you know, thinking about okay, what am I going to do? I guess I'll read books or get good at my job or something like that. But just already anticipating the excitement that comes with February and March and you know into the spring and summer. And you're absolutely right. I think every year. Fans, teams, players, they probably all think the same thing of like, is this the year? This could be the time that we do it. And my favorite is when the the underdog teams kind of just shock everybody. And, right. you know, I don't think anyone was expecting a Texas Rangers World Series this year. But lo and behold, oh, there it was. There it was. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And And you think about it in your own personal life. Okay, it's a new year. This is our year. We're going to get no more bad stuff this year. Yeah. Everything's going to go our way. And, um, and you know, and that's probably why there's so much baseball terminology in, in people's regular speech. Yeah. You know, uh, it, that's the effect the game's had through the years. And uh, it's a wonderful game. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I, I don't follow like I used to because it's a different game. Mm-hmm. But it's still the game of baseball. Once, once they throw that first pitch, there it is. And um, it's a wonderful game, and, and it's loved around the world. I, I've been all over the world. I've, I've been to South Africa to watch the uh, African continent play baseball. I've been to South America, Brazil, Argentina. I've gone to China many times. And you know what you see, Anna? You see enthusiasm. Maybe even a little more than what you see here because we take it more for granted. Mm. And some of those countries, those kids just love to be at the ballpark and they have big grins on their face. And kind of reminds me how things used to be here 25 years ago. But the thing that they all have in common is they like to play the game. It's so true. And, and one of the greatest things about about the game, and I look forward to being able to do some of that international travel too so that I can experience that because I'm sure that as exciting and um, interesting as it is on TV, it's got to be just, you know, a hundred X that in real life. It is. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and I've told this to many peoples, wherever you go, the game is the game, but there's a different flair for every part of the world you go to. And, you know, you go to like the Dominican Republic, you go to Japan, you go to Europe, they play, they, I don't know how to explain it, but there's like a little different flair that mm-hmm. they have to the way they play the game. And I mean that in a good way. It is a worldwide game. And I don't think people think about that as much that they play all over the world. And and I think Europe is a great area for prospects. Uh, China's getting better. Um, You know, it's just, uh, it's just a worldwide game now. Yeah, for sure. So you've done so many things over the course of your career. You've seen so many things over the course of your career. And I know you're not keeping up with the game as you once used to, but is there still something that is at the top of the baseball bucket list? You know, something that you would like to see or a person you'd like to meet or a place you would like to go, something like that? Well, I, you know what? I, I'm sure that, that there is. There's a lot of them that I'd like to meet that aren't unfortunately here with us. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I... I know one of the big names that I've met when I was in Japan was Saharo. That was like a kid in a candy store. And it was like when I met Al Kaline and, you know, things like that. I mean, it's, there's always somebody 
that you, that you find out they're there or you wish you could meet. And as far as the bucket list of, as far as the game's concerned, no, because I, I still think I went through the best part of the game. I think that my years evaluating was the best it could be because I didn't have to write, you know, 40 page reports. I didn't have to use numbers off a gun or, you know, something analytical. And again, I'm not knocking that stuff. I'm just saying I didn't, I got to use my eyes and my brain and my heart. And that when you, when you're successful, being able to do that, that means a lot. And when you fail, then you go back and look and say, what did I do that I messed up? And see, that's the one problem I think they have with numbers. They can say, well, this guy had this number, this number, this number, and this number, and he didn't play. And they look at it and say, what went wrong? Well, when I would sign a player, I'd look at him and he didn't make it. And I'd say, you dummy, why did you, you know better than to take a guy like this? You know, and I'd break it down. I learned from my mistakes, not my success. Mm-hmm. And because uh, when you're successful, you're too busy, uh, you know, hey, look at this. This guy can play. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, when, but when you're not, you want to know why. And there's been times when I've, I've missed on players and, and I said, you know what, when I go back and reevaluate, I say, I do it all over again because nine out of 10 of these guys make it. <laughs> and, um, and that was a great environment to work. So, um, you know, I went, when I went to the WBC, I did advanced work, uh, in that tournament and, and that was fun. But, uh, I think, you know, my time has has been outgrown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that you can look back on the the career you did have, and one recognize how fortunate you were to be in the right place at the right time, and two, you know, thank you for gracing us with so many of these incredible players and making my childhood just that much more fun to watch. You know, I mean. I just rattled off a bunch of names of guys that I, I used to idolize and watch and just keep up with on a on a daily basis. And to many years later, meet the man, you know, partially responsible for, for making that happen is, is pretty special. Well, you are very kind. And and I do appreciate that. That's very nice of you. And there were a lot of people involved right. with all these guys. There has to be. No, you know what? People don't realize to, to get the right player oftentimes takes a lot of, a lot of opinions. And I've always told people, you don't want people to look at things the same way. Cause what good is it if you have six people say the same thing? Mm-hmm. And I always was surrounded by people that looked at things different than me. The goals would be the same. Don't get me wrong, but people that look at things different, make you think about things that could go wrong or go right. Because the one thing that I always said when I was a scouting director, I'd say, I don't want surprises, good or bad. I want to know what what could go wrong, and I want to know how good they can be if it goes right. And that way, when something does happen, you know, you're prepared. There's nothing worse than when you only look at half of, half of the thing, and then it doesn't turn out. You don't know what went wrong because you didn't look at the other half. So I don't know how they do it nowadays. I'll be honest with you. I haven't been a scouting director for about uh, 15 years, but I I know it's different. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And you you can get a sense of that, I think. You can, even as just a a fan of the game. So, um, but 
Bob, I've so enjoyed this. I cannot thank you enough for making time to do this, especially in the midst of your traveling. And I just, um, I've so enjoyed chatting with you as I always do. And is there a place we should send people to, to keep up with you, to find the book? What is there anywhere that we should uh, direct them? Well, I don't, yeah, I don't have much social media skills, but the book is on uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And, uh, it's, you're very kind to mention it. Um, it's, uh, but no, you know, I'm just right now I do little consultant work and bounce around and try to stay out of trouble, not getting <laughs> ways. And, uh, but you've been very kind. I appreciate it. I hope our paths run across again next time with Japan ball. I'm sure they will. We had a good trip. It was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed talking baseball with you because I see the passion when you talk about it. And that means a lot to people like me. And that will wrap up this episode of the Baseball Bucket List podcast. Special thanks to Bob Fontaine Jr. for joining us today and sharing those stories and memories. I really, really, really enjoyed chatting with Bob and getting into some of the more humanistic sides of the game. If this sounds like something you'd like to do, if you think you might like to be a guest on the show, head to baseballbucketlist.com slash podcast and fill out an application. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. If you find yourself enjoying the show, please take a few seconds to rate or review it in the podcast app of your choice. That really goes a long way, and I would very much appreciate it. That's it for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next episode.